jarring cacophony tells you that you're listening to the Power of Three podcast, the podcast that loves to celebrate Doctor Who in all its forms, whether on TV, audio, books, animations, or anything else. Welcome to our 97th episode, which we've somehow rather inexplicably managed to reach. I'm Kenny Smith, and you might remember me from publications like The Big Finish Companion Volume 2, The Rutherglen Reformer, and The Doctor's The Archive. The Daily Mirror's unofficial guide to 50 years of Doctor Who. Yes, those are all real things. I'm also the editor of Big Finish's monthly magazine Vortex, which you can download for free from www.bigfinish.com forward slash vortex, where there's more than 150 issues to be devoured and hopefully enjoyed. Talking of Big Finish, that's exactly where we're going today. Normally, I don't give too many opinions on my favourite Big Finish stories of all time ever, but I'll make an exception today because we're going to be chatting about one of them. We're talking about The Creeping Death, a 10th Doctor and Donna story released in 2019, starring, of course, David Tennant and Catherine Tate. This was written by Roy Gill, a friend of mine since the late 1990s, and one of the cast was the wonderful Lauren Cornelius. And they both kindly took time out this week to join me for a trip down memory lane to reminisce about this story, which you can buy as a single CD, as a download, in a box set, and even if you're lucky enough to find it, on bright green vinyl. So, before we continue, let's hear the trailer for this box set. Dr John Smith, meet the wife. Donna. I'm Sylvia, her mother. <laughs> and I'm her granddad, Wilf. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions, The Tenth Doctor Adventures, Volume 3. Do you believe in ghosts, and the supernatural aliens, ha! demons? No. Well, you've met the mother in law full of love and cuddles. Boop. Did you just boop me on the nose? Yeah. Boop. I've got especially fond memories of the set as I was invited by producer David Richardson to write some exclusive production notes for the deluxe box set release which featured this story along with One Mile Down and No Place. So, without further ado, let's meet our guests. Yeah, hi, my name's Lauren Cornelius and I played Ivy Clark in Roy's masterpiece, The Creeping Death. <laughs> Who is this Roy of whom you speak? Uh, I guess Who that's me. It's me. <laughs> hi, I'm Roy Gill and I wrote The Creeping Death and I'm here to talk about it today, I guess. 
Fantastic. Well, thanks both for joining us today. It's quite incredible to believe how long ago it was this story came out because it's it still seems so fresh in the memory. Yeah. I was just looking back. What, what was it? It was we must have recorded it the autumn of 2018, I think, and then it came out in 2019, and then there was quite a gap, and then we got a vinyl edition. So it kind of felt like it came out a second time. <laughs> so exactly. had the, the, had the, had a novelty of it of briefly being in the vinyl charts, which is not something you get to say very often, but there you go. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it, it, it kind of feels more recent than perhaps it is, but it's 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 certainly uh, one of my favourites I've worked on, so I'm always quite happy to talk about it. Recorded on the 28th of September 2018, I've done my homework. Oh, so you have, right. Okay, great. Wow. Yeah. I can't believe that, but you know, in COVID time, that was just like last week. So <laughs> it does, it does feel like that, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh huh. Because I was think I was last down in London in 2019, and I kind of I was hoping to be back at the end of 2019, actually, for a big Finnish anniversary party, and I couldn't go because of I had health problems in my family. And then you just kind of thought, well, I'll I'll, I'll be down in 2020, and then it never happened. <laughs> So no. we're just stuck in this ongoing strangeness, aren't we? <laughs> it's a very, very strange world, but nothing's quite as strange as London 1952 with a deadly smog. Roy, do you remember how the commission for this came about? Uh, yeah, I think it was at the start of that year, I got an email from Matt Fitton, the, the script editor, just saying that I think they knew that they had David Tennant and Catherine Tate lined up to do a set and would I like to write one? And I would I like to write one? Of course I would like to write one. So I think I uh, I, I replied super fast to that. And then it was a, it was a case really of, of pitching stories. I think I was asked to maybe, I think they maybe had one in mind already for the present day. So I pitched some ideas set in the future and some set in the past. I think I, I think I maybe worked out four in, in some detail. This one was really seized on by uh, David Richardson as, as the story he really wanted to do, and I was happy with that. And that's how that's how it started, really. Brilliant, because it's something that I'd never known about. The well, I'd vaguely heard about this deadly fog in London. Was it something you knew about, Lauren? No, and I absolutely love, I'm such a sucker for London history. Like, I'm born and raised in London. I'm from Camden. So I love anything to do with London. I was always sort of morbidly interested and obsessed with Jack the Ripper and tales of, you know, London and its streets back in the day. And absolutely love, you know, the Tudors and just every everything to do with that London. Really obsessed with sort of London ghost stories and, and all that kind of stuff. But I, I didn't really know too much about this. So that's what one of the reasons why I loved it as well. I got to learn, learn something about it all as well, which is really cool. Um, and I think in The Crown, in one of the episodes of The Crown, yeah. the TV series, they covered it, didn't they? And and they made a point of, of when it was being so foggy, but it just is so spooky in itself, isn't it? Just the thought of like stepping out and it just being dark all the time. You try living that, in Scotland. That, <laughs> that, that episode <laughs> of, the, of The Crown was one I, I had watched and I think the producer had watched as well. And we both kind of sat there thinking, gosh, this is really interesting and, and tense. And it's a sort of, <laughs> you know, it, it has lots of potential for a story. And I'd kind of, filed that away at the back of my mind and then when I was um, 
looking for story ideas, I'd gone to, I think, my local bookshop and I'd been browsing through the sort of history section, just looking for uh, periods and stuff. And I found a, a book kind of like of just on London fog, you know, an entire book about, you know, the history of, fo of fog in London. And it's such a rich, as you're saying, Lauren, it's such a rich atmospheric kind of thing. You can picture it in your head, which is obviously a great thing if you're doing something for audio, something that everyone's going to have as a mental image of. And I, the two kind of connected together and I thought this is something fascinating. We could do something about this for, for a Doctor Who story. Definitely works. Because Roy, I know that you're a big Doctor Who fan like myself, but Lauren, had you been... Have you noticed a, that? <laughs> just a little bit. Lauren, had you seen much on TV beforehand before doing this job? Yeah, yeah. I love Doctor Who. Like, I love all the adventures and my dad's a long time Doctor Who fan. So it's something that sort of I grew up with in, in the household. We'd always watch it. But yeah, I, I'm a big fan. I have to say, it just this was just such a dream come true. This is my my favourite one episode that I've ever done, um, even to now. Because A, the story was just incredible. B, I'm from London. I just loved Ivy. I just connected with her immediately and thought she was incredible. And C, David Tennant was my favourite doctor so i absolutely i was just wow i could not believe that i got to work with him and i've just been a long lifelong Catherine tate fan as well i love all her sketches and i just think those two together what an incredible duo so yeah it was one of those i'd, I'd watched it and and absolutely loved loved what david did with his doctor and um, so to work on it was just incredible i was yeah blown, blown away by the script and just the, just being able to be a part of it, it was amazing yeah, and Roy, it must have been a real treat for you, but also a pressure as well, thinking you've got two Britain's best known and best loved performers, and you've got to put words in their mouths. <laughs> yeah, yeah, though, no, it pressure. Was, uh, it, no pressure at all. It, it, was, it, was, a, it was quite a, a lot of pressure. But weirdly, I don't know, I, it, it, in some ways, I think that helped because oddly enough, I think when I'm feeling anxious about things, I actually write more comedy. You know, I think because one of the things which is so brilliant about David Tennant and Catherine Tate's uh, this, this wonderful charisma and connection they have on screen together, it's a very bantery relationship where they love each other deeply, but they're not afraid to rip the piss out of each other and to tease and to, you know, point out each other's shortcomings. And and so um, the, the, their voices are so very distinct that, you know, I don't know. It was it was it was actually a real as much as any writing is not a, is not painful because all writing is painful to some degree. It was a real joy to write because you know they just. Um, I was re-listening to it the other day before doing this discussion with you, and I was. I know this is probably really bad taste, but I was laughing out, out loud at so many of the jokes in it, and uh, just hearing a cast that good hit all the right bits and all the right lines was 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 such a joy for me, really. Yeah, it's such a great cast. I mean, this was your first big finish, wasn't it, Lauren? This was my first one, yeah. Oh, I've done, I've been lucky enough to do a few now. So, yeah, it's, it's been amazing. That one was just, it's definitely the one that stuck out in my head as my most memorable one to date, um, just because the story was just so good. And when, when you get a story that you really connect with and a character that you just really identify with and just really, really love and, and can, are able to put your spin on and get inside her head. And, and it, it was just so imaginative. And I think having that connection to London as well just made it even, I, I was just so drawn to it. The first 
first time that I read the script and I'm one of those annoying actors I like to read a script once for the story twice and then I sort of make all my annotations and then a third time just to solidify all my notes and everything that I've n- taken away from the character and put it all together but yeah and sometimes if, if the story's not you know as amazing as, as Roy's one it can be that that's quite a long task this I read it three times and it just flew by I was just like oh wow and I was just kept picking out new bits of information new bits of the story there's just so so much going on there's always you know little sub lots of subtext happening as well so yeah it, it was just it was awesome it was definitely the most memorable big finish that I've done to date yeah Roy where did the whole character of Ivy come from because it's such a beautiful love triangle and the poor wee soul can't oh, yes. see what's actually going on. Well, I think she does actually know, doesn't she? She's there's this there's this stuff that the doctor has says to her, you know, you see further than most, and that was partly about her being this sort of because I I want her to, her to kind of fit into that into that season David Tennant and Catherine Tate had on screen where they would run into these sort of figures that were aware there was something. You know, they, they were just mm. that little bit, that little kind of psychic ability on the side. And I, I do, I really yeah. remember when we were recording it, I remember, Lauren, you'd, you'd, you had, you'd got to do this sort of, um, you know, there's something on your back line to, to Catherine. And there was a little tiny tingle went through the studio at that point because all us fans oh were kind God. of sitting there going, ooh, <laughs> it's the spooky doctor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think. <laughs> I wanted her to fit into that kind of way. And in the story, there's this bit, I think, at start where she's basically being the doctor's companion. You know, it's her teams up. You know, he, he falls into a situation. He makes friend immediately. And he sizes Ivy up and realizes that she's, you know, what she's got lifts her out of, out of the ordinary. And meanwhile, um, Donna's run into Terry in the streets and, she, and he kind of becomes her companion so these these two kind of story threads going simultaneously which is quite good when you're writing because you can cut back and forth and keep the tension going and that kind of thing i'm trying to think where the the whole ivy as cinema usherette came from and i think it was partly i was watching a lot of 50s movies to get into my head sort of like you know little quirks of dialogue and you know little bits of slang people would use at the time to try and make it authentic and so I was kind of thinking about cinema anyway and I had this kind of vision in my head of do you know how when you see footage of old of old cinemas and people used to smoke in cinemas and the smoke yeah. would interact with the projector beam and it's this it's like how sometimes you know you can see motes of dust dancing in the air and sunlight and it's this weird kind of magical thing going on and, uh, you know, and that fitted with the monsters I was developing, mean, these little kind of particle things. And so I just, it, it seemed like a really good place to have, just to start her story, connect her with the cinema so she's got the light beaming through the fog and catching some sight of something lurking in it. So that was the start of the character for me. I think she's just wonderful and we should bring her back. Definitely bring her back. <laughs> <laughs> Lauren says nothing, but it's a nod there, I can tell. Um, uh, oh, Love. I, I think there was an, it just shows in the feedback that we received from it as well so many of the it was so well received by so many people who were like we want to see Ivy go on more adventures because yeah I think she did have that ability didn't she and to sort of see a bit further and the doctor saw something in her where she wasn't just that she had a lot more to offer and she wanted to go on adventures she was really initially quite scared but then really bonded with the doctor and trusted him they built that relationship quite quickly and I think they make a really good team definitely 
Yeah, there's elements of that sort of relationship that the Doctor had with Billy Piper, Rose Tyler, and there's in that he takes he takes somebody who's normal and he makes them even better to fulfil their potential. And I just love that the fact there's just so much there's so much warmth in Ivy as a character as well, which is in the writing and the performance. So congratulations to you both for that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's important when you get characters that you that are so warm and, and you just want to do your best to share that with everyone listening um, and the audience so that they are, they feel like they know her. Yeah. Had you done much audio work before being cast and do you remember how you came to get the job? Yeah, so I worked at the BBC on the radio rep company for a while and that was my first job out of drama school. So when I was at drama school, I didn't really know too much about radio drama and audio books and audio drama, but I had a few sessions with the wonderful Tracy Wiles. I don't know if any of you have worked with her or interviewed her. She's fantastic. Um, and Carl Prekop, they do wonderful audio work for, in the audio realm. Um, and they trained me up, showed me the ropes and I just fell in love with it. And there's something so magical about audio and radio where you, you know I feel like in this day and age especially in the last two three years that we've all been living in with COVID we're just bombarded with images all the time and so sometimes it's really nice to just switch off not have to look at anything and you just immerse yourself in a world and let us do the work for you let the writers the composers the actors the storytellers just transport you and you don't have to look at anything we'll we'll create that for you so that's one of the reasons why I fell in love with audio and I just love being a part of creating those th these worlds for people to lose themselves within and I did that a lot for the BBC and I think it was through working at the BBC that um, I got put in touch with Big Finish and they thought you know you'd be great for the, some of these adventures and I was like I love it and I'm down for an adventure so uh, that, that's how I think it came about but um, yeah I do lots of, for BBC Radio 4 and yeah Big Finish and yeah I love it love, love the adventures. <laughs> Brilliant. So, Roy, when you were writing it, were there many changes along the way? I don't think there were, actually. I mean, I'm trying to remember. As a writer, I tend not, I'm not super fast, but that does tend to mean, though I take longer, what I tend to hand in is, is tends to be fairly close to the end product, I would say. I, I don't tend to, I'm going to curse myself down here or something with a massive rewrite. I mean, I obviously have done rewrites and stuff, but generally speaking, I'm, I'm kind of methodical. And I'll tell you one thing I, I do remember, I mean, would be Matt Fitt and script editing it. I've got a great relationship with, with Matt. I remember one of the things he asked for actually was a little bit more at the very end, because I think I was actually, I suspect I was already over, I tend to overwrite, I suspect I was already over word count, but it was done, it doesn't overrun in recording because everyone just went at it, like, you know, it's got a real pace to it in delivery, which is lovely. But I think he thought the end was a little bit too abrupt. So I think in my very first pass through, it possibly ended with the bit, they're, they're definitely all getting on the bus, heading off to Brighton in that slightly sequel hunting ending of mine. <laughs> and uh, Don is a little bit indignant about it. they're not going to give him a drop her off at the TARDIS en route. And someone asks, you know, what's the TARDIS? Uh, and uh, Don says, home. And I think that's where the first draft ended. And, and Matt kind of said, you know, we've got to know all these characters. Let's have a little bit more, which was delightful. So I sat down and wrote an extra scene. And that actually, I think, ended up being one of my favorites, oddly enough, just a little bit more on the bus with them on 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 route to their their new life, because it gave me I I, I really love 
David Tennant's last line in the piece, you know, when he says, you know, sometimes things get lost in the fog, but sometimes they get found as well. And that is really the entire essence of the story, because these bunch of people who are strangers to each other come together and bond and they find out something about, you know, the, Ivy finds out this secret the, about her uh, impacts and the relationship she thinks she's having. But, you know, they find a new accord and they go off as friends at the end. And so, uh, yeah, so that was a really good note. Matt's a good editor and I was happy to write an extra scene at the end. And uh, I think it was all good. <laughs> yeah, I do have to ask, where did the name of Fumifugium come from? Because it's such a wonderful word, particularly for David Tennant to say the way he works ah. with all those ooh sounds. He loved it. <laughs> I think Catherine Tate hated it. <laughs> <laughs> Recording it, how many takes did we have to go through? It's like, oh no, it's coming. When, when you're an actor and you see the word coming up on the script and you're like, right, we've all written it out phonetically so that we get the pronunciation <laughs> bang on. And even then, we still had to go for multiple takes to try and get it right. <laughs> it's interesting because uh, uh, I've done a few more for David Tennant since, and you know that because his doctor is such a, you know, he's so verbally adept, he goes at things fast, you actually end up writing longer lines for him because you'll know he'll go in with such attack and he doesn't, I don't think anything phases him, you know, he'll just go straight through. But you're also aware, like you say, that sometimes you'll put something in the script, it doesn't really occur to you what an issue is going to be. So the name, since you're asking, it actually comes, I think, from, a, it's actually lifted from, I think, a, like a 16th century treatise on the air of London. This came, it turned up in my research and it was called something like, you know, Fumi Fujimo, the noxious air of London thereof or something. And it was, uh, it was just showing that there had been concerns about the air quality in London going back centuries because obviously there were lots of people living together and there were smoke fires and early, you know, even pre-industry there would be, would be smiths and all kinds of stuff going on. And it was, when I read that word, I kind of thought it fitted to me with that kind of lyrical love of language that you get in Russell T. Davies' writing, where in like his era of Doctor Who, you have like Raxacoracophalipatorius and uh, Woman Wept as a planet and Claw, <laughs> Claw as an extreme. But you know, there's a, there's a, he loved uh, the, what was the, the Jagrafest, all these kind of multisyllabic words. And I thought, yeah, I'm having that. Yeah, your answer is it, it is uh, reappropriated magpie-like from a very old treatise about bad air in London, and now it's got a totally different meaning. Now it's a monster in Doctor Who. <laughs> oh, I love that. You learn something every day in Doctor Who land, I swear. You really do. <laughs> you do, actually, don't you? It's one of the joys of it, really. I mean, I, I've bullshitted my way through a lot of conversation based on little scraps of knowledge you picked up from <laughs> tiny little bits of Doctor Who or something. Yep, I feel that because I know that they were having a chat about Madam Butterfly at work, quite recently, because uh, I work in... Puccini! Exactly, and the yeah, fact yeah. that he died, Puccini died before he could finish writing Madam Butterfly, and it was completed Alfano by Alfano, working, yes, working from his original notes. Based on his notes. Yep, so and it worked Laura, for like, Laura, how do you know? Just looking a bit, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is all dialogue from Paul McGann's movie as the Doctor, which we as hardcore Doctor Who fans have terrifyingly memorised. <laughs> <laughs> yep, Roy and I have known each other since the 90s, Lauren, so it's... Uh, you like the payback. <laughs> yeah. In fact, Roy even had a ponytail. I know, I really did. Oh, 
love that. I can see. I can see that actually. Oh. Roy, little rocker kind of vibe. It was. It was. Ma it was majorly kind of Kirk. I did actually do the whole bleach job thing as well. So I was my own little tribute act Fun. too. I thought. I thought I looked like Kirk Cobain, but people told me I looked like Dougal from the Magic Roundabout. So you know, <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't as flattering. <laughs> <laughs> don't pay any attention to those if it feels good <laughs> exactly so lauren what do you remember about walking into the studio for the first time you must have had such a thrill i imagine there might be a few wee nerves as well if you'd been a bit of a fan beforehand and then there they are oh, david yeah. and Catherine. yeah working walking into the studio so i think this one was at was it at moat moat studio it was the it one was in west yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah um which is so nice and i have to say i'm sure you get loads of actors saying this but one of the things that i was a looking forward to telling the story but b i was looking forward to an amazing three course lunch because big finish put on a spread and a half any actor when you get a job from big finish you know it's at moat and toby's in the kitchen you're like hey it's gonna be a good day so i knew that that was gonna calm me down because i had a really really good lunch to look forward to <laughs> but um Besides from that, I was, yeah, I, I was, I was nervous. I mean, I'd, it was my first sort of, yeah, I, I'd, I'd been lucky enough to act with some of my, some of my heroes before, but this David Tennant, just such an iconic actor. I, I've got so much, I rate him so highly, so much respect for both him and Catherine Tate. And of course, when I get a story that I'm just so invested in, of course you get nervous because you want to be able to make it as good as I can see it in my head. So if I got this idea of what what I think this is going to sound like or how I want to do something, but then I'm, not, I'm sure you hear this from lots of other actors, but you've got an idea of what you want to do and then you go in and it just takes over. Once you become a character, you, all your prep goes out the window. You just sort of like push it to the side because it's it you've done it. So you just have to trust then and you just have to be in the moment and see everything as Roy's written it, as the writer's written it and work with your actors because they you can never plan or preempt how someone's going to deliver you a line so then you just go with it and you feel it and you see it and you're working together so yeah with this one it was just so magical working there that the nerves kind of disappeared as soon as I got into the booth and we started telling the story um because we were all so so in in the moment yeah what about you Roy I was just actually remembering that I think these things are generally recorded more or less in story order um there's sometimes exceptions but more or less in story order so I think we did actually start with David and Catherine landing in London and I think Ivy's in there right in the first scene and I remember you deliver this this incredible scream of terror <laughs> And I thought that's gonna that we're gonna be really punch into the tight. So the energy was really there from the from, yeah. from the from the start. Yeah, I mean, I I had been to uh, a few of my. This is quite early on for me in terms of writing Doctor Who for Big Finish. I had done I'd done things like the Confessions of Dorian Gray. I'd done I think four episodes of those, and I'd seen most of those recorded, which was really interesting as a learning experience for me as a as a writer new to drama at that stage. And I'd been to. Uh, I've written Omega Factor and uh, Dark Shadows as well, and I, I'd, I'd only done a couple of uh, sort of Doctor Who spin-off related things. So this felt really like, a, it, it, yeah. So it, it was quite a big deal arriving, and then I think I met David Richardson just inside the door, and, and coming past this sort of kind of kitchen area, and then there was a bench, and then literally just sitting there is Doctor Who and Donna side by side. <laughs> and he's like, hey, so David Richardson's like, Roy, come and meet your cast. I, uh, <laughs> so uh, they were, I have to say, they were, they were lovely. You know, everyone was, you know, I, I think any nerves I had vanished quite quickly because there's a lovely atmosphere, you know, 
people are there to do work, but to have a laugh as well, you know. And my memory is just a real joy, actually, sitting, hearing it come together and seeing how things develop across across takes and uh, knowing how much energy was, was in it as it was it was coming together and being recorded. Yeah, I remember chatting to, to Lauren and I remember chatting to... Uh, to Stephen Critchlow, who's actually the only time I met him, passed away quite He did recently. very recently, yeah. And he was such a lovely oh, guy. Sad. And he's and uh, I think he was re- he was quite a buff of old films and stuff. So he was really quite into he like he was quite into his character and he was talking to me because of like throwaway references in the scripts to things like the day the earth stood still. So he knew I knew my cinema history as well. And so he was really interested and uh, I just remember everyone being very welcoming and as Lauren said, we had an amazing lunch, so that's always good as well. <laughs> and uh, it, it, it really it it flew past as as by memory. I think we actually even finished a wee, wee bit early because it was just the, the scenes just sipped through really. So yeah, it was great, lovely lovely day. Yeah, and did David ask you about your accent and where you're from? He did, yes. Uh huh. And then I think I promptly over-explained precisely everywhere I I've lived in Scotland, <laughs> and I could see his eyes glazing over at that point. But but apart from that, you know, I mean, they were both very both him and and Catherine, who are clearly really great friends because they were they spent a lot of time chatting to each other as well. I mean, they were both really complimentary about the script as well, which was amazing to hear and that kind of thing and I remember actually in the there's a little throwaway one thing I meant to say to him on the day and never did I remember Kenny you had told me you had interviewed I think David Tennant at one stage I did and he had told you his favorite television show was Glenn Michaels Cavalcade mm-hmm. is that yep. right yeah yeah uh, which I don't know if you'd have had that in London Lauren it, it's like a, it was a Saturday afternoon cartoon show no, Sunday yeah. afternoon, because there was nothing else on the telly. And this this guy, he had a talking paraffin lamp, <laughs> a dewey dog. It sounds barking. <laughs> it ran for like decades. So it was like, it was on before I was even on this planet. And I think it carried on after I'd grown up. And so, you know, when there was nothing else worthwhile watching on a Sunday, there was, would have been Glenn Michael playing his cartoons, Glenn Michael's Cavalcade. So that's the reason in the script when the doctor's kind of trying to cheer Ivy up. And, you know, he's just acting like, you know, she could put on, on anything she wants in the cinema or whatever. And he's saying, oh, it's up to me. I put on a cavalcade. I have cartoons all the time. So that's, that's a, it's a wee nod to Glenn Michael's cavalcade because I knew Den- David Tennant loved the show as a kid. I'm such a geek. These things stick in my head. It was, I think it was actually been in a pub in Edinburgh. I think it might have been at the Lyceum around 2004. And right. we'd been drinking. Just and, before he got Doctor Who, yeah, basically. And we started yeah. singing the the theme tune to it because you can put the words to it cartoon cavalcade cartoon cavalcade cartoon cavalcade I'm sorry my baritone doesn't carry that very well but there we go that's the sort of nonsense oh and how about you Lauren it must have been really you know just being able to chat with David and Catherine because you're still starting out really at this point in your career weren't you and be able to pick up wee things from watching them at work yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I'd only graduated a year before from drama school. So this is, again, one of my first big girl jobs. And um, so, yeah, it was it was really cool. And I feel that when you act with people of that calibre who've been doing it for so long, I mean, David Tennant, who'd already been the doctor on screen. And yeah, he, he's, he's just in such a flow. It, it really does make you 
I don't know. I want to say like up your game, but of course you always come in with your A game, but they make you even, they, they elevate you even more because they're just so incredible. So yeah, it's it's just, I, I learned a lot just to, just from being in the room. And, and it's interesting when we record at Moat, that the, you're recording in individual booths as well. So if you're lucky, you get to see the person that you're talking to because they'll be opposite you or you'll be able to see them through the window. But sometimes you're they'll be next to you. So you can't actually look them in the eye. Um, so, so much of what we were doing is, is, you know, trying to catch little glimpses so you can get that rapport going. Um, but a lot of it is just is listening and, and listening and responding authentically and seeing everything visually. So, yeah, they, they, everyone just kind of we all just really, really came in and, and gave it and gave it everything. And, and I think we were just working off each other so well. Um, so we were all learning, learning from each other, I guess, me particularly from from those two absolute, absolute legends. Yeah, and it's such a great cast because I remember after the recording, Roy and I obviously had a chat and about how it went. And I'm sure, Roy, you won't mind me saying this, he did single you out to say that you were, and you were absolutely outstanding and really gave Ivy far more than you expected. I think that's fair to say, isn't it, Roy? I think it just all came to life so much. It was so vivid to me. I remember Lauren was just talking about being in the booths at the moat in the, the control studio, if you're sort of there at the guest, you're, uh, as a guest, you're sort of sitting right at the back of the room on a sofa, which is quite low down. So you are actually mainly hearing, you know, you're hearing it come through these big monitor speakers and you're hearing it, it, it come together. But I was there and there were, there were, I think there were actually a couple of people visiting from the BBC that day uh, as well. Um, so it was, that was another high pressure thing, I guess. But uh, so by the end of, of the show, we'd all kind of, um, we'd all stood up at the back so we could peer through the window and watch everyone. And there was this, this lineup of all these booths and it was this big action scene with, with the dinosaur skeleton coming out and everyone was really in the moment. And there's sort of, you can tell how much the actors are visualizing it because you're all moving away in your in your little booths and acting, you know, like looking up at this dinosaur that's obviously not there, you know, or or getting ready to catch something or duck or or, or whatever. And and uh, and that it, it really it's it's um it shows you it's come alive and it also it, it totally impacts on the voices as well, which is something I, I had to learn as a writer as well. But it's amazing how much the the physicalization of the of the emotion and the movement in the body, even audio. It carries through and it, it, it helps I think because them at the other end when people are listening they're getting that picture in their head as well you know so it's, it was a it's just sort of strange magic that comes together and it's, it's 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 lovely to see really. Lauren how does this place in your career overall obviously you're still at the beginning but it's an important one for you isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I'm still, I mean, it's, it's weird because I've been acting since I was young, since I was a child, but I, this, this really does feel like since leaving drama school, coming out and getting to work in this universe has, has been, the, the Doctor Who-niverse has been, it's been amazing. Like, and it, it has, like, as I said, this has been such a career highlight for me today. And yeah, I'm just looking forward to going on some more adventures. Hope, hopefully as Ivy, I've got some other stuff that I'm working on with, with Big Finish at the moment, which is exciting. And I think that's all being announced soon. But Ivy needs to come back. I think I was lucky enough to go to Chicago TARDIS. I'm not sure if any of the listeners will have um, been there or if you guys have been there, but it was my first time going to a convention. And I it was, it was mind blowing. It was incredible. And the amount of people that came over wanting their acid green um, vinyl signed was just brilliant. So yeah, it, it, it goes to show that, it, that we, this episode in particular was received so well. And so it wasn't just a coincidence. It was one of my favorite jobs. I feel that we all just 
everyone united in, in loving this episode so much. So yeah, definitely a massive career highlight for me and looking forward to hopefully going on some more adventures. Yay! And Roy, for you, I know it was an important one for you as well, particularly because you won an award. It is, yes. I was a Strive Award winner, which was was lovely. It was a was a big deal to me. And, uh, yeah. and it is one that people do refer back to a lot. I still keep getting messages on, on, on Twitter or whatever with people saying, you know, let's, can't we have another adventure? Let's find out what happens next. And, uh, you know, if the opportunity presents itself, it's certainly something I'd like to do. Yes. And uh, yeah, it's definitely one of the ones that I have a, a huge spot of affection for. It was a big deal in terms of where it came in my writing career. And the reception for it was was just so so good that it's 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 stuck there, and it was just such a lovely day in the studio as well, um, seeing it come to life. So, yeah, special yeah. moment really. Fantastic, Roy and Lauren. Thank you so much for your time and joining us on the Power of Three. No problem. Good chat, Kay. If you enjoy Lauren's work, you can follow her on Twitter at l cornelius. That's l c o r n e l i u s. And fans of Roy can find him at Roy underscore Gill, G-I-L-L. Remember to follow us on social media at Power of Three Pod. That's the number three, not written out. And you can find me at Finished Zine. That's F-I-N-I-S-H-E-D-Z-I-N-E. Or if you're listening, America, Z-I-N-E. So thanks for tuning in and joining us. And of course, as regular listeners will know, we always like to play out with the song Several groups have done songs called Creeping Death. Metallica's was far too rude to share here. Lots of F-words, so we're not going to go for that. There's only one F-word for us. It's Fog, since we can't really do Fumifugium, as there's not many songs called that. So we're going to have Kate Bush and The Morning Fog from her 1985 album, The Hounds of Love. Light. 